trust you were encouraged after last week. Uh, Andy Ollerton is always a delight, uh, always very encouraging. And uh, he really tried to inspire us last week in terms of our eternal view. And he said, let our eternal view inform our present and that we can, we can live with great expectation and great enthusiasm right now and have a confident expectation in the glorious future that God has for us. And that really impacts and affects how we live right now. And uh, I, I was personally greatly encouraged, and I trust if you missed it, please just go up on the, on the webpage and, and listen to the podcast. And I love what he, Andy said, that on that day, that final day, we will become like Christ. Wasn't that a wonderful thought? You and I are going to become like Jesus. And so uh, having said that, just uh, to kind of connect today with, with uh, last week, today I, I would like to think with you as a church family uh, about what we co- must continue to aim at as the church grows. And it's a wonderful thing that God is adding diverse and different people here at Forest Town Church, and uh, we are delighted with that. We, we've said as a, an aim of our hearts that this would be a multicultural church, a multi-generational church, because basically God's kingdom is for everyone. And uh, I think the church should reflect on earth what it's going to be like in heaven. And so we're delighted that uh, after the meeting, we're going to be having lunch with all those new folk that uh, God is, is joining here. And that's a delight. But to kind of think about this together with you this morning, I'd like to look at Ephesians, all right? Wonderful book. And we can look at chapter 4. And I've asked Andrew just to put up the first uh, couple of verses, which Paul writes to the Ephesian church. And he says this, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you have been called, with humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There's one body, there's one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So I'd like to speak about two things here this morning. The one is the unity that God has called us to and has given to the church. And then the other is the diversity of gifting that God has blessed His church with. And we're going to look at those two things together. And the first thing that I'd like you to notice about this portion is that it marks a major turning point in this letter that Paul has written to the Ephesian church. If you know the letter, and I would encourage you to, just to read it this week, the first three chapters, Paul speaks about the greatness of who Jesus is. He speaks about the greatness of God's power. He speaks about the greatness of the salvation that he has bought for these, these Ephesians through the blood of Jesus. And then he prays for them, and, he, and, he, and he, his prayers that they might be exp- able to experience all of what God has bought for them in Christ, all of the power of the Holy Spirit in, at work in their lives. And having done that, in this chapter, he now turns and he kind of gets a little bit more specific with with the Ephesian church. And he implores them, he's asking them to live their lives from that power that is within them. And that's always how the Christian life works. The Christian life is an inside-out life, always. We live out the big thing that God has done for us. And because of what Christ has done for us, 
on the inside of us, because of the great salvation that we enjoy, there's a particular outflowing of that into our lifestyle. And so the little things, and I want to call them little things, like our behavior, like what we value, like what we prioritize, like what, how we spend our money, these are all little things in the light of what the big thing that God has done for us. And the big thing that God has done for us is the gift of Christ and the salvation that He's brought for us. And everything in our lives, all the little things, flow out of the big thing that God has done. And I'm asking you to always keep that perspective in your life. That's the Christian life. Too many times our lives get focused on the little things. And we get, we get all intricate with people's behavior or, or how they're expressing themselves and we kind of get all disconcerned with outward things when actually what happens, what we should be more concerned with is that the faces are, our faces are following the sun like the sunflower and as we follow the sun like the sunflower, the little things of our behavior start to change. Are you with me? This is the Christian life. Too much of Christianity is concerned with outside-in stuff. Don't do that. Behave like this. Don't drink. Don't smoke. Don't listen to that kind of music because, you know, music leads to other things. Come on now. How many of you have been part of church communities like that? Focusing on the outside things. I say to you with confidence because it's the power of the Holy Spirit. As you live by the power of the Spirit on the inside, as you trust Jesus for your life on the inside, the outside stuff will begin to follow. That's why Jesus said, grace calls us higher. It has been written, do not commit adultery. Jesus said, no, no, if you love your wife with all of your heart, it's going to be okay. You're not going to commit adultery. Well, that's what Jesus was trying to say, live from the inside. Are you with me? And so this is what Paul is calling them to, and this is what I'm calling us to as a church community this morning. And how does Paul do that? He zeroes in first on, on a very specific thing, on unity. And what does he say? He says in the first verses that we read this morning, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Do you notice that he uses the word calling? Too often we think we save ourselves. Ah, oh, I made a decision for Jesus. As good we respond to the call of the Holy Spirit, but the Bible teaches that all of us are saved because Jesus calls us. He woos us. He says, I'm drawing you into my kingdom. His kindness leads you and I to repentance. It all starts with Him. And we think that we've responded. Yeah, in the sense we do respond, but it starts with his call. And Paul reminds them right at the beginning, he says, remember your calling. All of you were called. You were called out of darkness into light. You were called out of your past into a glorious future. Remember that you have been called by God and live worthily in accordance with that calling. He's called you. Every single one of you this morning that are sitting here know this. God has called you. What a glorious thing to reflect upon. We don't save ourselves. Uh, John 6.44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father whom he has sent draws them to me, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's the great promise. Our salvation starts with what God has done for us. And so what Paul is really saying to the Ephesians is that if God has done that for you, then live in accordance with the thing that God has done for you. 
Let your outside stuff be transformed by the inward thing that God has done for you. He's brought you into his kingdom. Now start living like you are in his kingdom. There's an outward demonstration to yourself and to other people that something inward has happened. There's a radical transformation on the inside. And because there's a radical transformation on the inside, the outside things start to change. This for me is the heart of the Christian life. This for me is what we are trying to commit ourselves to in this church to help people live in that reality. It's an inside-out life. Freedom on the inside means freedom on the outside. Amen. Come on now. And so the main thing that Paul focuses this appeal on, on Christian unity, he says, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eagerly maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Do you notice that he's addressing primarily an attitude? Do you notice that? He asks for humility. He asks for a humble attitude. He, he, and that, that's essential if we're going to keep the unity that Christ has bought for us and has given us. Humility is essential. And that wasn't so in Paul's day. Pride was, was, uh, was, was lifted up in Paul's day. Emperors, emperors used to... to um, parade the people they had defeated through, through Rome, uh, declaring the, their greatness. And Paul says, no, actually, if you want to preserve unity, uh, you've got to come from a place of humility. And so these things, humility, gentleness, patience, and most of all, love, were displayed to us in the person of Christ and how he came to live and what he did for us. And uh, I have to say, I don't think there's one person in this room that can honestly say, including myself, that those things are always evident in our lives. Sometimes they're evident, sometimes they're not. Sometimes there's kindness, sometimes there's patience, sometimes there's impatience, arrogance, frustration displayed. But I, I, I love the fact that Jesus is committed to us. Yesterday, today, the same, forever. I'm not the person I was 10 years ago. I am not. Jesus has been transforming me. I'm not saying that arrogantly. I know that to be true. Helen is not the same person that she was 10 years ago. When we planted this church, we were certain people. We are not those same people now. Why? Because Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, is committed to transforming you and I into the person, the likeness of His Son. Yes. He's committed to that for all of us. All of us are changing. Yes, please. Why? Because God wants us to become more and more like his son. And so God's not finished with us. And that is always a great comfort to me. When I get frustrated with myself, I remind myself, well, until Jesus comes back or I die and go and be with him, God will, is not finished with me. He's continuing to get on my case in a loving way and say, my son, there's still some things that need to change in your life. And let me help you see those. Amen? This is the Christian life. Notice too that when Paul focuses on unity and humility and gentleness, he also speaks about the bond of peace. Do you notice that? It's the second thing in those first verses. The bond of peace. Peace is possible because we've been reconciled with God. Isn't that what Paul says? He says the only, the only reason that we can have peace with God is because of what Christ has done for us. We are justified. We are saved. We are made right with God. And because we are right with God, we can now have peace with God. And the beautiful thing about having peace with God is when you're not wrestling with God all the time, you can have peace with other people. It's beautiful. This is the Christian message. We have, we have peace with God. He's reconciled us to himself through the power of his Son. And because we are reconciled to him, because we have peace with him, Peace with other people becomes possible. 
Peace with people that are not the same as you becomes possible. Peace with people that come from different cultures, different backgrounds, different economic backgrounds becomes possible because of the big thing that God has done for you in Christ. The small things, how you work that out with each other becomes possible because of Jesus. Come on, this is good news. This should, this should continue to excite all of us. And so Paul speaks about guarding. Do you notice he says this peace, this unity, it's already been given, bought by the Holy Spirit for you. Now all that you have to do is, uh, is guard it. You don't have to create it. You just have to guard it. So we are called in this church to guard what God has already given us. The unity that God has already given in the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, in verse 46, if you're following in your Bible, I'm going to mention seven things that Paul says create and absolutely guarantee unity in the church. Here they are. He says there's one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all, and in all. So here are the seven things. Very simple. I'm not going to take very long. The first thing Paul says is that God has brought one body into being. I love this. It's so simple. One body. There are not two churches in the early times. One for Jews and one for Gentiles. No, there's one church for everybody. There's not one rich, a church for rich people and another for poor people. One for black people another for Caucasian people. One for Asian people, another for whatever kind of people. No, there is one body. All of us belong to the same church that is bought by the precious blood of Christ. One body, all of us. Secondly, there's one spirit that's brought that body into being, that church into being. Paul says, remember that. One body by the same spirit, birthed by the same spirit. Third, that body comes into being as people are saved. So as God calls you, you come into his kingdom. You come, are called by, we're all called by the same God, one calling, one hope, one common destiny, born into one church. There are not different compartments of hope in heaven corresponding to different kind of people. Oh, you know, uh, Caucasians, you need this, this kind of hope. And, you know, uh, African-Americans or, or whatever the political correct term is, ca Caribbean people, you need a specific kind of hope. And, and, and Asian people, you need a specific kind of hope too. And it's all kind of comp compartmentalized. No, there's one hope that we all share. There's one destiny that we all share. There's one king that we all serve. We are all caught into Christ, the one king. This is the great power of the church. And that's why I say to you, we must be reflecting that to our community. Yes, one church for multicultural, multi-ethnic peoples called together, redeemed, serving the same Lord, called to a common destiny, called to be part of the same church for His kingdom, for His glory, that many sons, Ephesians says, might come to glory. He's bringing many sons to glory. Not many white sons, many, many black sons, many Asian sons. Many sons to glory. Come on. This is the destiny that we have. And we need to demonstrate this by the power of the Spirit to this broken world that is becoming increasingly fractured, marginalized, separated by so many different things. 
one Lord, one faith. Do you know that? Notice that? That's the fifth thing. Oh, well, the, the, the fourthly, there's one Lord in Jesus. I've kind of spoken about that. Fifth, there's one faith. It's faith in the gospel, not doctrine. I love doctrine. <laughs> not ecclesiology, not how we organize the church. I, I love the church. It doesn't say that that's what our faith is in. No, it's in the gospel. One faith that brings unity between all Christians. You know, people have been killed over the years because of differences in doctrine. People have been killed over the years because of differences in ecclesiology. The Reformation and, and, and the Catholic Church, they, they, fight, they were fighting really about ecclesiology. There's only one king. His name is Jesus, not the Pope. These are all ecclesiological. How do we organize the church? People have died over the centuries for these issues. No, no, no. We are called by the same Savior, and that's what we are united around, our salvation in Christ, one King who saves all. Amen? One baptism. I want to say again, I don't think Paul is talking about water baptism here, and that's been an, another source of great disunity over the centuries. People have been slaughtered because of what they believe about baptism. <laughs> Should you baptize an adult? Should you baptize a baby? Do you sprinkle? Do you immerse? These things have separated people. Paul's not talking about that there. He's talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that baptizes you into the body of Christ. That's what he's saying. There's one baptism by the Holy Spirit for all of us into the internal church, which includes everyone who's ever been saved from Abraham onwards. We are part of one body, one Savior, one baptism, one faith, one hope. Are you getting it this morning? And lastly, he says there's one God who's the father of all Christians, who rules over all. He's found in every part of the Christian church, every part of the Christian church. And that's why Paul uses this phrase. He says, through all, in all, over all. He's, he's, the allness of God is being, is being emphasized. And so, to end this first little section... I just want to say this again. Paul's not saying create unity in the church. Paul is saying guard unity in the church that has already been secured for you by the Holy Spirit. Guard that unity. It's there. It's given. It's a gift. Guard it. I would urge you all that as this church grows, we guard the unity that God has already given us. And uh, I don't know if you can see our values over there. Can you see? It's a bit dark over here. What are some of our, our, our values? I can't even remember them, so I'm going to have to go over quickly. It says uh, right at the top, unity. And then it says forgiveness. It says honor. It says servant-heartedness, generosity, authenticity, and courage. So how do we guard unity? We guard unity by learning to forgive quickly, not holding a grudge. That doesn't, that doesn't produce unity. Forgive quickly. Learn to forgive quickly. For those of you that are married, how, how many of you know that's worked out very quickly in marriage? Learn to forgive quickly. Forgive each other quickly so that you can get on. And families know that. So we need to know that as a family here. Forgiveness. Honor. That you speak well of people. Uh, no gossip. No gossip. Gossip doesn't. I sometimes have had people gossip about me, and so I've said to them, and they don't like it, I've said... Oh, so you, you found out that about me in your quiet time when you were praying for me this morning? Is that, 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 that where you found that out? <laughs> Obviously not. Obviously in our quiet times, 
if we're really praying for people, God's doing something in our hearts for them. Amen? So thank you. Think as we talk about unity, just reflect a little bit on some of the values that we have. It's not exclusive, but we've put those up there to try and guard what God is doing in our church and to honor what God is doing in our church. Unity. All right? And then I love, and I'm doing my second point here, once Paul has majored on the unity, the big thing that God has done in Christ for us, he now uses this little phrase, and he says, but grace has been given to each of you. I love that. So Paul is not saying we must all be the same. He's recognizing in this beautiful thing that God's created by the power of the Spirit, this big thing of the church, there is diversity, and there's, there's a myriad of different gifts to the church. There are different kinds of people. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led host of, um, captives and he gave gifts to men. I love this. I'm really excited to share this with you this morning. Because here Paul is speaking about this diversity that God has given us in the church to benefit the church. And that means... All of us are different. Imagine if everyone was bald and had a beard. How boring would that be? It would just be so boring to have a couple of hundred people. You know, I always think of um, Lord of the Rings. Have you remember the dwarves when they're describing each other? <laughs> and the, dwarf, the, the, the one dwarf is describing, and it's actually his wife who's also got a beard. Do you know? <laughs> so I, I'm just being facetious. But imagine if I, all of us looked the same. All of us dressed the same. All of us... For exactly the same. How boring would the church be? And God doesn't design it like that. He says, but each of you, each of you as an individual, each of you has got a gift that I've got for you. And to live that out, it blesses the whole church. Can I just say kindly to you this morning that if you withhold your gift from Christ's community, the community of Christ is poorer. You need to be the fullness of who you are in Jesus so that all of us can benefit from what God has given you. We, we need each other. I need you. You need me. I need my family. I need my friends. I need you. I need you to help me become like Jesus. We need each other. And let's celebrate the difference of the, of the gifts that God has given us. Am I too loud this morning? And I love this. I'm just going to explain where Paul gets... When I read this before, I was kind of, that phrase, it's like a really strange phrase, isn't it? When he says, um, when he ascended on high, he led host, a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. It's like, well, Paul, what are you actually saying? Well, I've done a little bit of work, and I found out that Paul is quoting Psalm 68. Psalm 68. So if you knew Bibles you want to follow, I've asked Andrew to put it up. So look at Psalm 68. First couple of verses begin like this. God will arise... And his enemies will be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee before him. As smoke is driven away, so you will drive them away. As wax melts before fire, so the wicked will perish before God. But the righteous will be glad and shall exult before him. They will be jubilant with joy. Sing to God, sing praises to his name, lift up a song to him who rides through the desert. His name is the Lord. Exult before him. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the lonely in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious, dry, um, the rebellious dwell in a parched land. 
And if you, if you have a look at this, I'd encourage you again in your devotional time this, this, this week, have a look at Psalm 68. It's a psalm of procession. God is, the picture is that God is marching to Sinai from Canaan. And as he starts to walk, his enemies are scattered before him. And then when we reach verse 17, if Andrew, you can just put it up. Verse 17, it says an amazing thing. It says, the chariots of God are twice 10,000, thousands upon thousands. The Lord is among them. Sinai is now the sanctuary. You ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even amongst the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. This is the picture. As God disperses his enemies, as they are scattered, he calls out those people. He calls them out of their past, and he redeems them so that he can dwell with them. He can be their God. He can be in the midst of them. That's the picture that Paul is using. And so in the Old Testament, it's about God making a dwelling place for himself in Zion in Jerusalem. And through the life of David, we see that being, being lived out. But it's the same picture that Paul uses as an analogy here to, to, to talk to the Ephesian church. I love this. This is what Paul is saying. He says, God, God has taken hold of you. You who are dead in your sins. You who were captive to your own sin, your own selfishness, your own greed. You were captive to that, and I sought you out. I called you. I've rescued you out of that. I've brought you to myself. You are redeemed. You're my son. You're my daughter. And now I'm giving you back to my church as a gift. Doesn't that amaze you? That's what Paul is saying. He's saying every one of us that are called in, 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 by Christ, we've been redeemed out of our sinful state. We've been redeemed out of our history, out of our past, everything that embarrasses us or causes us pain. We've been rescued out of that by the power of the Holy Spirit, saved, justified, redeemed, set free. And now God says, I'm giving you back to my people, my bride, and you're going to be a delight to them. You're going to be a gift to my church. And that excites me. That's what you are. You are a gift to God's church. Do you know that? We are all fellow citizens of the same kingdom. God's new Jerusalem, the holy temple. This is the language that Paul uses over and over, and he uses it to encourage us because he wants us to see that God is giving all of us back to his church to be a gift to his church. And we'll look at what he says in verse 11 in another day. But for now, I want to just land with this. I want to remind you, dear friends, every single one of you, you are a gift to this church. There are many churches that are doing great things. And the people in those churches are a gift to those local churches. But if you've committed yourself here, you're a gift to us. And we want to celebrate that church. You've been saved by Jesus, brought back from sin and death, and he's given you to his church as a gift. Do you see yourself as a gift? Do you see the grace gift that God has blessed you with as valuable? Do you see that as something to be nurtured and honored and cultivated in your life so it can be a blessing to others? You know, I, I think mentors are good. I think we need coaches. We need mentors. We need people to help us. But I would caution you and just say this. I've seen too many times in the church that the disciples start to look more and more like the mentors rather than Jesus. <laughs> I've seen it. 
I've seen people start dressing the same. I've seen people start behaving the same. I've even seen people start the same style of prayer. I have a friend who, when he prays under the anointing of the Spirit, sometimes he has this little shake in his hand. And over a period of time, it was to my amazement, I saw all of his disciples, when they prayed for people, what happened? What is genuine for him became a technique for other people. No, no, we don't want to become like our mentor, as good as the mentors and coaches are. We want to become like Jesus. And good mentorship, good, good discipleship points people to Jesus. And so let's enjoy the diversity of the gifting. Don't long to be someone else. Long to be yourself, who God's made you to be. And here this little phrase, verse 9, and I'm finishing with this. Paul then, after he's talking about uh, Christ having ascended, he says also that he descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who has descended is the one who has ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. So what does Paul mean here when he says that Jesus has also descended to the lowest parts of the earth? Does that refer to him coming to earth as a man? Well, certain translations of the Bible imply that. So, the, for example, the New uh, English Bible translation infers that in that verse. That's talking about Jesus descending to earth as a man. John Calvin thought otherwise. He, he thought it referred to the, the depth of suffering of Christ on the cross. That's what that verse really is talking about, that he descended and suffered on the cross. There's a Puritan called Paul Bain, and he said, you know, this really refers to the burial of Christ, that he descended, he was buried. And other theologians have said different things uh, about this particular verse. But I hold to my dear friend Michael Eaton. He had a very simple view, and it simply, he said this, that uh, it simply means that Jesus descended also into the realms of the dead, and we know that from Philippians 2, in order that he might rule in every place in the universe that's an amazing thought eh? jesus rules over all he rules over everything there's no part where his presence is not and so what paul is trying to say here is that as jesus ascended as the risen uh, glorified christ he at the same time rules over every section of the world there's nothing that he does not rule over and he descended so that he might fill all things in every way there is no part of the universe that jesus does not reign in or rule in or does not know his power that's what paul is saying and so i i marvel at this in verse 20 he's saying that paul is saying that jesus has conquered death he's the head of the church and the person who has conquered death and is the head of the church and fills the universe in every way the head of all things in thing everything through all things Christ, that person gives you as a gift to his church. Man, you're not amazed by that? I'm absolutely amazed about that. That the king of the universe who fills everything and all things, there's nothing that does not know his rule. He gives me and he says, I want you to be a blessing to my church. He gives you. Whatever gifts you have, whatever, whether you're still discovering what your gifts are, or doesn't matter. He gives you, and he says, I want you to be a gift to my church, to bless my church, to build my church so that my kingdom can come. I love the church. Why? Because it's his body. 
Oh, I love Jesus, but I don't love his church. It's like saying I love the head without the body. It's a weird kind of relationship there. I love my wife. I love her head and her body. I love all of her. Jesus, the same. Love the head. Got to love the body. To a joint. That's it. Community. King of the universe is calling you and I to use our gifts to bless his church. That's the challenge. That's the encouragement. I, I hope you will, you will uh, in an in a inside-out way, reflect on that over the months that lie ahead and just bring your gifts before the Lord and say, Jesus, how can I use this to best serve you for your kingdom's sake? So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to finish, and I've finished before time, and Helen's just going to talk a little bit about some of these things and why we've got them up and uh, give you opportunities to have a look at what's happening in the church and perhaps you can start to connect some of those things. Your gift, what you have, what you believe God has called you to be with some of the things that are already in place and uh, see how we can work together. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning.